0: During the preparation of this message, I have prayed earnestly to be led to communicate as clearly and as effectively as I am able. It is vital that there be understanding through the Spirit so that I cannot be misunderstood by anyone I seek to help. Increasingly, the world is being divided into groups of individuals— who seek earnestly to preserve their ethnic, cultural, or national heritages. These efforts are generally motivated by sincere appreciation for what forebears have done, often under the most extenuating circumstances. Appreciation for ethnic, cultural, or national heritage can be very wholesome and beneficial, but it can also perpetuate patterns of life that should be set aside by a devoted Latter-day Saint. Because of the sensitive nature of what I want to say and to not be misunderstood, please consider that you and I are alone in a quiet place. And imagine that we have deep bonds of friendship and a relationship of trust that permits open communication Let us assume that you've asked me how to benefit most from your membership in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know you to be a person of faith and conviction. I also know you intensely value your unique cultural heritage. There are threads of that heritage woven into every fiber of your being. You've obtained a great benefit from it, and you desire to be a root-sunk deeply into the soil of that heritage so that your children and grandchildren will benefit as well. Yet I see how some elements, elements of that pattern of life can conflict with the teachings of Jesus Christ and could bring disappointment or difficulty. As a friend, I want to help you see this potential without offending you or in any way lessening those precious portions of your heritage that should be preserved and built upon. When you embraced the teachings of Jesus Christ and His plan of happiness, you were baptized and confirmed a member of His kingdom here on earth. You took upon yourself His name. You made a commitment to be obedient to His teachings, to make whatever changes in your life that were required by those teachings. For the fullness of joy, you need to receive the ordinances of the temple. That pattern will provide you the greatest happiness here on earth and joy throughout the eternities. For almost everyone, joining the Church requires a fundamental change in lifestyle. Where the word of wisdom has been broken, that must be rectified where there is a violation of the law of chastity that must be repented of. No one who truly understands the significance of Church membership has any hesitancy in making these adjustments to receive the blessings of worthy fellowship in his kingdom. Also, there are other things, perhaps less clearly evident, that need to be set aside in order to enjoy the fullest measure of happiness from membership in His kingdom. President Hunter explained it this way, I would like to say something to you that I consider to be very important. Throughout your life, you will be faced with many choices. How well you select among the alternatives will determine your success and happiness in life. Some of the decisions you'll make will be absolutely critical and can affect the entire course of your life. Please measure those alternatives against the teachings of Jesus Christ. To be able to do that, you must know and understand His teachings. As you exercise faith and live worthy of inspiration, you'll be directed in important choices you make. President Hunter continues. I suggest that you place the highest priority on your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ. Measure whatever anyone else asks you to do, whether it be from your family, loved ones, or your cultural heritage, or traditions you've inherited. Measure everything against the teachings of the Savior. Where you find a variance from those teachings, Set that matter aside and do not pursue it. It will not bring you happiness." Why give the Lord's teachings first priority? They are your perfect handbook to happiness. The Savior is your Redeemer. His sacrifice entitles Him to judge you and to ultimately give you the greatest blessings for obedience to His commandments. He is the perfect example. Your Heavenly Father assigned you to be born in a specific lineage through which you received your inheritance of race, culture, and tradition. That tradition can bring a rich heritage and great reasons to rejoice. Yet you have the responsibility to determine if there is any part of that heritage that must be discarded because it works against the Lord's plan of happiness— you may ask, how can one determine when a, condition is in, a tradition is in conflict with the teachings of the Lord and should be abandoned? That is not easily done. I have found how difficult it is as I work to overcome some of my own incorrect traditions. Yet, recognizing the need to do it is a major step towards success. Customs, traditions become an inherent part of us, and they're not easy to evaluate objectively. Carefully study the scriptures, the counsel, the prophets, and understand how the law's wants you to live. Then evaluate each part of your life and make any adjustments needed. Seek help from another you respect who has been able to set aside some traditions that are not in harmony with the teachings of the Lord. When in doubt, ask yourself, Is this what the Savior would want me to do? Changing a profoundly embedded pattern of life can be very difficult. Former friends can ridicule, criticize, and even persecute. Persistent faith in the Savior and obedience will see you through such hardships to greater blessings. The scriptures illustrate how conviction and faith can overcome traditions, conflict with God's plans, bringing blessings to even generations of people. Abraham's unwavering determination to be loyal to truth and to reject false tradition blessed him greatly. His loyalty will crown with rich rewards— all of the obedient of the house of Israel another dramatic example of discarding false traditions is the change of warlike lamanites into humble followers of Christ willing to die before violating a covenant made as members of his kingdom i encourage you who have already made correct tr- cultural choices To help others to do likewise, teach him to recognize the long-term blessings of peace and happiness that come from a decision to place Father in Heaven, His plan, and His Son at the center of their priorities. Follow Ammon's example. He patiently taught King Lamonite to recognize and to abandon incorrect traditions, Many were blessed by his decision to discard them. Ammon taught truth so clearly that Lamoni was touched by the spirit with a desire to give up all of his false traditions. Is yours a culture where the husband exerts a domineering authoritarian role, making all of the important decisions for the family? That pattern needs to be tempered so that both husband and wife act as equal partners, making decisions in unity for themselves and their family. No family can long endure under fear or force that leads to contention and rebellion. Love is the foundation of a happy home. These are other traditions that should be set aside. Any aspect of heritage that would violate the word of wisdom that is based on forcing others to comply by the power of station, often determined by heredity, that encourages the establishment of caste systems that breeds conflict with other cultures— there is serious danger in placing cultural heritage above membership in the Church of Jesus Christ. That zeal to defend one's own culture may lead to excesses that are known to be wrong but justified because it's them against us. Gangs, with all of their potential for destruction, are fostered in a culture of group identity over principles of right and wrong. It is a violation of God's commandments for one culture to persecute another, whatever the reason. Should you choose even unknowingly to follow tradition which is in conflict with the teachings of the Lord, you choose to violate the sacred covenants made at baptism. That decision is much more serious when temple covenants have been made. Such action would move you from the plan of happiness, peace, and eternal joy defined by your Creator to something of far less worth and infinitely less capacity to bless your life. When the Lord's kingdom and His teachings are pyramid above all else and you're united in love of the Savior and of our Father in Heaven, then the beautiful nuances the uniqueness of your cultural heritage, can flower and produce a rich harvest of blessings. You do what is right. Don't worry so much about what everyone else is doing. Certainly don't justify departure from what you know is right because of others' wrong choices. Satan would destroy families, our Father-in-Heaven's plan is centered in loving family relationships here and into eternity. The devil would undermine authority and order, whereas authority righteously exercises the backbone of Father-in-Heaven's work in the family, in the Church, and everywhere else in his kingdom. Satan would segregate Father's children into groups with strongly held individual identities. He would encourage a tenacious preservation of those interests regardless of the consequences to others. Father's plan is expressed in his son's words, Behold, I say unto you, Be one. And if you're not one, you're not mine. Satan promotes the concepts that life is to be filled with constant personal entertainment, even if that pursuit interferes with another's well-being. Father in Heaven gives us the plan of happiness, which engenders the abandonment of selfish interests and provides happiness through service to others. The example and teachings of Jesus can unite Father's children, regardless of cultural or origin, under the single banner of membership in his kingdom. If in an awkward attempt to express a truth I have stirred feelings of offense, I apologize. Please overlook my inadequacy and try to understand the truth of what is being said. In quiet moments of reflection, weigh what our Father in Heaven and His Beloved Son have identified as the key priorities of life. Review your own life to make sure that in all aspects it is in harmony with them. That is all I'm trying to say. As I travel through my own country and other parts of the world, I see the marvelous benefits derived from the distinct cultures that exist. Yet those benefits are sometimes overshadowed by the negative influences that result from traditions that conflict with the teachings of the Master. I testify that you will remove barriers to happiness and find greater peace as you make your first allegiance to membership of the Church of Jesus Christ and His teachings the foundation of your life where family or national traditions, customs, conflict with the teachings of God, set them aside. Where traditions and customs are in harmony with His teachings, they should be cherished and followed to preserve your culture and heritage. There is one heritage that you need never change— It is that heritage that comes from your being a daughter or son of Father in Heaven for happiness. Control your life by that heritage. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
1: It has been nearly three years since I received one of those dreaded early morning phone calls. My younger brother, Steve, had suffered a massive heart attack and died during the night. In an instant and without warning, my most trusted friend was gone. During the next few days, many who loved Steve and his wife and children traveled to their home in Colorado, but it wasn't until after the funeral that I realized that seven dear friends of mine had made the long trip from Salt Lake City to attend the service. Not one of them had ever met my brother. They had come to support me. You can imagine my emotions as they encircled me and one of them said, We just didn't want you to be alone today. In word and deed they taught a divine principle. It is not good, nor is it intended, for any of us to be alone. The pain of loneliness seems to be part of the mortal experience but the Lord in His mercy has made it so that we need never deal with the challenges of mortality alone. I was thinking about this recently as I sat through a meeting where the speaker seemed preoccupied with how hard it is to live the gospel. By the end of the meeting, I was depressed. (laughs) He had made living the gospel seem like a sentence to life on the rock pile. It's not living the gospel that's hard. It's life that's hard. It's picking up the pieces when covenants have been compromised or values violated that's hard. The gospel is the good news that provides us the tools to cope with the mistakes, the heartaches, the disappointments we can expect to experience here. Membership in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has its privileges. Here are just a few. We are led by those holding the priesthood of God the most powerful and holy force on earth. We are members of the Relief Society, the only organization for women founded by a prophet of God. And tonight we will be taught by a living prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, who is the Lord's anointed in this day. I testify that he is a prophet in every dimension of that word and that he receives revelation to bless the lives of all who have ears to hear. To these remarkable privileges I add one other. Nephi taught this, If ye will receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what ye should do. What a remarkable privilege and promise! Lorenzo Snow said that it is the grand privilege of every Latter-day Saint to have the manifestations of the Spirit every day of our lives so that we may know the light and not be groveling continually in the dark. And his sister Eliza R. Snow declared, You may talk to the Saints about the follies of the world till doomsday, and it will make no impression, but place them in a position where they will get the Holy Ghost, and that will be a sure protection against outside influences. We have been promised the constant companionship of the third member of the Godhead and hence the privilege of receiving revelation for our own lives. We are not alone. The Holy Ghost enlarges our minds, our hearts, and our understanding, helps us subdue weaknesses and resist temptation, inspires humility and repentance, guides and protects us in miraculous ways, and gifts us with wisdom, divine encouragement, peace of mind, a desire to change, and the ability to differentiate between the philosophies of men and revealed truth. The Holy Ghost is the minister and messenger of the Father and the Son, and He testifies of both their glorious global reality and their connection to us personally. Without the presence of the Spirit, it is impossible to comprehend our personal mission or to have the reassurance that our course is right. No mortal comfort can duplicate that of the Comforter. Said President Hinckley, There is no greater blessing that can come into our lives than the companionship of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Brigham Young lamented, we may have the Spirit of the Lord to direct us. I am satisfied, however, that in this respect we live far beneath our privileges. Is it possible that in this twilight season of the dispensation of the fullness of times, when Satan and his minions roam the earth inspiring deceit, discouragement, and despair, that we who have been armed with the most potent antidote on earth The gift of the Holy Ghost don't always fully partake of that gift. Are we guilty of spiritually just getting by and not accessing the power and protection within our reach? Are we satisfied with far less than the Lord is willing to give us, essentially opting to go it alone here rather than partner with the divine? This Church is a Church of revelation. Our challenge is not one of getting the Lord to speak to us. Our problem is hearing— what He has to say. He has promised, As often as thou hast inquired, thou hast received instruction of my Spirit. It is vital that we, the Sisters of Relief Society, learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Yet I worry that too often we fail to seek the guidance of the Spirit. Perhaps we don't know how and haven't made it a priority to learn. Or... We are so aware of our personal failings that we don't feel worthy, don't really believe the Lord will talk to us, and therefore don't seek revelation. Or we've allowed the distractions and pace of our lives to crowd out the Spirit. What a tragedy, for the Holy Ghost blesses us with optimism and wisdom at times of challenge that we simply cannot muster on our own. No wonder that one of the adversary's favorite tactics among righteous LDS women is busyness—getting us so preoccupied with the flurry of daily life that we fail to immerse ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sisters, we can't afford not to seek the things of the Spirit. There is too much at stake. Too many people are depending on us as mothers, as sisters, leaders, and friends. A woman led by the Lord knows where to turn for answers and for peace. She can make difficult decisions and face problems with confidence because she takes her counsel from the Spirit and from her leaders who are also guided by the Spirit. Our responsibility, therefore, is to learn to hear the voice of the Lord. One day while reading about Nephi's instructions to build a ship, I found myself thinking, but how did Nephi understand so clearly what the Lord was telling him? That question launched me on a search for every scriptural evidence I could find of direct communication between God and man. At each one, I made a little red X in the margin of my scriptures. Now, many years later, my scriptures are littered with little red Xs, each an indication that the Lord does indeed communicate with His people. I have experienced this for myself. I remember a time when a personal disappointment had left me exquisitely lonely. One day, while searching the scriptures for consolation, I had the impression that I needed to focus on one particular verse. That verse led me to hundreds of others in what became a period of intense searching. But it wasn't until three years later that another passage leaped out at me as if in neon. Only then, was I given to understand what the Lord had been trying to teach me all that time about the power of the Atonement to ease our burdens. Some of the clearest promptings I have ever received have come while being immersed in the scriptures. They are a conduit for revelation. They teach us the language of the Spirit. Our ability to hear spiritually is linked to our willingness to work at it. President Hinckley has often said that the only way he knows to get anything done is to get on his knees and plead for help and then get on his feet and go to work. That combination of faith and hard work is the consummate curriculum for learning the language of the Spirit. The Savior taught, Blessed are all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hungering and thirsting translate to sheer spiritual labor, worshiping in the temple, repenting to become increasingly pure, forgiving and seeking forgiveness, and earnest fasting and prayer all increase our receptivity to the Spirit. Spiritual work works and is the key to learning to hear the voice of the Lord. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, There is no price too high, no sacrifice too great, yet out of it all we enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost. What are we willing to do? What weaknesses and indulgences will we give up to have as our personal protector and guide the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost? It is a question worth asking, for let us be clear. The adversary delights in separating us, the sisters of this Church, from the Spirit because he knows how vital our influence and our presence is in the latter-day kingdom of God. where may the people of the world look to find women of virtue and integrity, women who are beacons of goodness because their countenances radiate the light of Christ, to us, the Sisters of Relief Society. This is not hyperbole. It is our mandate. There is no group of women anywhere whom the Lord is relying on more than us, women who can hear and who will heed the voice of the Lord. The Lord loves the women of this Church and he is counting on the women of this Church all over the world to make the difference that only we can make. This past spring, I spent a day in Siberia. As I walked into a rented hall to meet with the sisters there, this spirit absolutely overwhelmed me. I knew that I was in the presence of women who were beloved of the Lord, our sister pioneers in Russia. I wondered if that is what it would have felt like to be with Emma and Eliza, in Nauvoo. I wasn't the only one who felt it. Near the meeting's end, Sister Efimov, the mission president's wife, leaned over and in what few English words she knew whispered, Very Holy Ghost. Very Holy Ghost, indeed. The Spirit simply cannot be restrained among righteous women who are doing their best. We will hold only one more General Relief Society meeting this century. The Lord trusted us enough to place us on stage during this pivotal era in the world's history. We must arise as the women we were prepared to be during eons of premortal training. We don't have the luxury of living beneath ourselves or being casual about seeking the gifts of the Spirit. But we are up to the challenge tonight May each one of us resolve that nothing will stand between us and the Spirit of the Lord. May we recommit to stretch ourselves spiritually and to work a little harder at seeking the inspiration of heaven to guide our lives. It is the Holy Ghost who leads us to the Lord, who binds us to Him, and who irrevocably seals our testimony of Him. I know that God is our Father that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, and that they have provided a way so that we need never be alone. As my friends supported me in a time of great need, so may we have the Holy Ghost to strengthen and to guide us. May we seek with all of the energy of our souls to hear and heed the voice of the Lord so that we may do what we have been sent here to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
2: During last April's General Conference, we as the Relief Society presidency rejoiced as President Boyd K. Packer stood at this pulpit and said, It is my purpose to give unqualified endorsement to the Relief Society, to encourage all women to join in and attend, and priesthood leaders at every level of administration to act so that Relief Society will flourish. Sisters, that is also my purpose tonight. President Mary Ellen Smoot has spoken to you about invitations. Well, I have an invitation for you. Come to Relief Society. The Relief Society was organized through the authority of the priesthood and is directed today by that same authority. The Prophet Joseph Smith said of the priesthood, It is the eternal authority of God by which the universe was created and governed and the stars in heaven came into existence. Speaking specifically to the women of the Church, President George Albert Smith said of Relief Society, It was God that gave it to you, and it came as a result of a revelation to a prophet of the Lord. How should we view an organization that was created through this prophetic priesthood authority? As Relief Society leaders, we serve as an auxiliary to the priesthood to help bring women and their families to Christ. What is it about Relief Society that should compel you to join in and attend, as President Packer has said? Within Relief Society are programs designed to help us as women find meaning and purpose in life for ourselves and for our families. According to President Spencer W. Kimball, there is no greater and more glorious set of promises given to women than those which come through the gospel and the Church of Jesus Christ. This is a time when everywhere we look in society, women and their families are in crisis. Marriages are failing at alarming rates. Far too many children are abused and neglected. Women struggle to hear the voice of righteous truth amid a confusing cacophony of voices persuasively urging them toward expediency and political correctness. There are many among our own 4.2 million Relief Society members who are hurting and confused. Do we realize what we have, sisters? Do we understand who we are? Do we fully appreciate that within the organization of the Relief Society, we have all of the tools and resources we need to soothe a single soul or to heal a troubled world? The first objective of Relief Society is to build faith in Jesus Christ and to teach one another the doctrines of the kingdom of God. Through Relief Society lessons, activities, and shared experiences, you can gain a testimony, or you can strengthen the testimony you already have. When it comes right down to it, that may be the single most important thing we do in Relief Society. For the spiritual strength and secure testimonies of the women of the Church are absolutely vital to themselves, to their families, to their branches and wards, and to the world itself. The second objective of Relief Society is to help each sister understand that she is a beloved spirit daughter of Heavenly Father. And as such, she has a divine nature and destiny, including the most marvelous of all possibilities, eternal life in the presence of God as His heir. Once again, quoting President Kimball, Where else can you learn who you really are? Where else can you be given the necessary explanations and assurances about the nature of life? From what other source can you learn about your own uniqueness and identity? When we fully understand that we are daughters of God, with rights and privileges that extend throughout eternity, that we are entitled to blessings from Him dependent upon our faithfulness, then we will look at the world and our place in it and our responsibility to it in a different way. Listen to what President Gordon B. Hinckley tells us. Know that you are daughters of God, children with a divine birthright. Walk in the sun with your heads held high, knowing that you are loved and honored, that you are part of His kingdom, and that there is for you a great work to be done which cannot be left to others. What is the work which President Hinckley refers to, a work which cannot be left to others? The answer, as you might expect, can be found in Relief Society. The third objective of Relief Society states each sister is encouraged to reach out and serve those in her family, her ward, and her community. As sisters, we have the ability and the responsibility to help each other walk in the light of the Lord. No matter where we live, and regardless of our age, nationality, marital status, or Church calling, there are those around us who need our love and service. We're all familiar with the life and work of the late Mother Teresa, who spent most of her life laboring among the world's poor and impoverished and did much to relieve sorrow and suffering. Once when she was in Australia, she offered to clean the hut of a lonely Aborigine man. In his hut was a beautiful but unlit lamp. When asked why he didn't light it, he replied, nobody comes here. She made him promise that he would light the lamp, and she promised to have the sisters visit him. Later the man sent word to Mother Teresa, tell my friend the light she lit in my life is still burning. As Relief Society sisters, we can bring light into the lives of those we serve, along with the loaves of bread we bake and the casseroles we share. We can give hope. We can lift, and we can inspire. We can teach of Christ and help others find peace and comfort within His light. As women, we have natural tendencies to love and nourish. Women teach children, bolster friends, encourage husbands, and cheer on the disheartened. Women are the givers of life and nurturers of the living. Every one of us has something to give, something to share, and someone to serve. As the second president of the Relief Society, Eliza R. Snow, declared, There is no sister so isolated, her sphere so narrow, but what she can do a great deal toward establishing the kingdom of God upon the earth. The fourth objective of Relief Society is to strengthen and protect families. Has there ever been a time in all of history when that strength and protection was more desperately needed? It is my sincere belief that the most powerful protection against the deteriorating condition of the family is a faithful, righteous mother. In 1993, President Hinckley said, I remind mothers everywhere of the sanctity of your calling. No other can adequately take your place. No responsibility is greater no obligation more binding that that you rear in love and peace and integrity those whom you have brought into the world. As a Relief Society General Presidency, we reaffirm that motherhood is the most noble work a woman can be engaged in. As we do so, however, we remember that there are many among the most devoted women of the Church who have not as yet had the opportunity to experience motherhood for themselves. For them, the words of Elder Dallin H. Oaks provide insight. Quote, We know that many worthy and wonderful Latter-day Saints currently lack the ideal opportunities and essential requirements for their progress. Singleness, childlessness, death and divorce frustrate ideals and postpone the fulfillment of promised blessings. In addition, some women who desire to be full-time mothers and homemakers have been literally compelled to enter the full-time workforce. But these frustrations are only temporary. The Lord has promised that in the eternities no blessing will be denied. His sons and daughters who keep the commandments are true to their covenants and desire what is right. Our fifth objective is to help each sister feel needed, included, valued, and loved. In Relief Society, we share our love for each other and for our Heavenly Father. A sister recently shared her feelings about being in Relief Society when she told us, I have felt the wonderful sense of sisterhood and womanhood, but there has also been a healing force in Relief Society that I have found nowhere else. Everyone is welcome in Relief Society. There is no one kind of acceptable Latter-day Saint woman. It matters not where you come from, what your weaknesses are, what you look like. You belong here. The Lord loves you, each of you, collectively and individually. We are not ordinary women. We are women of the covenant, women who have recognized the truth, accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and made covenants with the Lord to follow Him and do His will. And He needs us, each one of us, to do our part in bringing to pass His great Latter-day work among the children of men. We need Relief Society, and Relief Society needs us. Our sixth objective is to help each sister understand the importance of sustaining the priesthood, as well as the blessings that come from making and keeping sacred temple covenants. In the temple, we make eternal covenants with our Father in heaven. We make promises to Him, and in return He makes extraordinary promises to us. The next time you go to the temple, whether for yourself or your kindred dead, pay careful attention to the promises God makes to you, His daughter. In every part of the temple, the hallowed halls of God's house are filled with comforting covenants. Personal, intimate assurances of His eternal love. In the 115th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, we are admonished to arise and shine forth that thy light may be a standard for the nations, and that the gathering together upon the land of Zion and upon her stakes may be for a defense and for a refuge from the storm. Sisters, as we consider the programs of the Relief Society, may we allow them to be a defense a refuge from the storm for us and for others. As President Packer has said, strong Relief Societies carry a powerful immunizing and healing influence for the mothers and the daughters, for the single parent, for the single sisters, for the aging and for the infirm. I testify to you that Relief Society is an organization of divine origin, We invite all to come to Relief Society. Allow it to bless your life as Heavenly Father intended it to. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
3: I've always loved receiving invitations. Do you? Do you ever like to imagine that someday you will be invited to something grand? Some event that will acknowledge your significance— your immeasurable worth? The anticipation is at least as much fun as the event itself. Even the mundane tasks add excitement and meaning when you prepare and plan for an event to which you've been invited. To this day, any envelope arriving in our mail that even resembles an invitation is the first to be opened. Unfortunately, All invitations are not of equal value. Some come as enticements or solicitations. Whether arriving in the mail, through the computer, or on television, they can lure and tempt and actually mislead. But thankfully the invitations we receive from the scriptures, the prophets, and the Holy Ghost are invitations we can count on. They give us direction peace, comfort, and joy. A still, small voice speaks to us and encourages righteous living. We must listen carefully to His beckoning and search our soul. As we do, clouds of darkness will dispel, and the glorious light of God will fill our beings. Invitations from the Lord are vital. They guide us back to our Heavenly Father and lead us in the way of truth and righteousness. Truly, they acknowledge our infinite worth as daughters of God. They are so lovingly personalized. They come from our Heavenly Father. He speaks to us in a language of invitations Come unto me, follow me, come ye. This evening, the Relief Society General Presidency would like to extend an invitation to each of you. Come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Please choose to RSVP, which is a French term indicating answer, if you please. Isaiah saw the many people going up to the house of the Lord, learning the ways of God and living peaceably, with each other. He wanted all to take part, and so he invited them just as we invite now. Come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord. My great-great-grandfather Israel Stoddard accepted an invitation to join the Church in 1842. Then he accepted another invitation to join the Saints, and the family moved from New Jersey to Nauvoo. When President Brigham Young extended an invitation to follow him west, they accepted. As the family crossed the Mississippi River, they looked back and watched as their home was burned. Because of exposure to harsh elements and hardships, their mother died. Five weeks later, the infant baby died. And shortly thereafter, the father passed away. As my grandmother wrote, This left five stoddard children, homeless and almost penniless, but not friendless, as the Saints were good to them. This invitation took the lives of the parents and their small child. However, it bound them together eternally. Consider with me for a moment what it means to walk in the light of the Lord. First of all, we'll have light light in our countenances, light in our outlook, light even when darkness surrounds us. And it also means we will walk with purpose and direction. The Savior taught us the way when He delivered the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and the goats during the last week of His life. Using these parables in Matthew 25 as my guide, I'd like to review three lessons that Christ taught. As we listen and obey, we become sisters of light and truth. First, the parable of the ten virgins teaches us to walk in His light by being spiritually prepared. The Savior likened the kingdom of heaven unto the ten virgins, who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins took oil for their lamps, and when the bridegroom came, they were prepared to receive him. While the foolish five were scurrying to find some more oil, the bridegroom came, and only they that were ready went with him. Sisters, are we ready? Are we individually and collectively in the process of preparing ourselves for the generous gifts that the Lord has promised to all who remain faithful. Are we prepared to receive His light? President Kimball has given some direction on how to fill our lamps with oil. Attendance at sacrament meetings adds oil to our lamps drop by drop by drop over the years. Fasting, family prayer, home teaching and visiting teaching, control of bodily appetites, preaching the gospel, studying the scriptures. Each act of dedication and obedience is a drop added to our store. Deeds of kindness, payment of offerings and tithes, chaste thoughts and actions, marriage in the covenant for eternity. These, two contribute to the oil with which we can, by midnight, be ready. Let me share with you the feelings of a sister about how Relief Society helped her to spiritually prepare. I was so inspired by her faith that I asked her to write her testimony and send it to me. Allow me to read a portion of it. She writes, What a blessing the Relief Society has been in my life. I was divorced, a single mother of a small daughter. I had also lost a son. I spent hours on my knees calling for help from my Savior and Heavenly Father. But there was the Relief Society, it was my organization. All week I struggled trying to provide for my little daughter and myself on my small wages and minimal education. Every Sunday we went to church. It seemed to me that going to Relief Society each week helped me become a stronger and better sister. Not that I missed my other meetings. I didn't. I went because I knew that's where I was supposed to be. I went and then feasted on the word and especially Relief Society. It was my relief and my society. I belonged. I felt apart. I lost myself in lessons, service to others, and to my little child. I found if I kept my mind and hands busy, there was less time to think of the pain of the past. But through all those years, what I remember most was the belonging I felt. To the organization my Lord and Savior gave to all sisters, not just to me. As sisters in Relief Society, we are to assist one another preparing for the day the bridegroom returns. By a- actively taking part in Relief Society or, in, or the Relief Society organization, our lamps will be full, our faith will remain strong. One of the gifts God has promised to all who earnestly seek Him is faith. Elder Bruce R. McConkie explained, Faith is a gift of God bestowed as a reward for personal righteousness. It is always given when righteousness is present, and the greater the measure of obedience to God's laws, the greater will be the endowment of faith. Faith and all spiritual gifts are available to everyone who is willing to live for them. Many times we think just being a member of the Church will entitle us to all the Lord has promised. But each blessing requires obedience. The Lord declared, When we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. We gain strength by living the commandments. So if we desire to walk in the light of the Lord, we put one spiritual foot in front of the other. We follow the path of spiritual preparedness as it is set forth in Scripture and by our living prophets. We take full fellowship in the Relief Society organization. This society, established and directed by our prophets through divine inspiration, is not just a Sunday meeting. It is an organization to bring sisters and their families to Christ. Second, as we work under the direction and in harmony with priesthood leaders and with one another, the Lord would have us walk in His light by developing our talents. The second parable the Savior shared during the last week of His life was a parable of the talents. You all know the story and its message. Allow me to review it with you. The Lord likened the kingdom of heaven to a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. When the master asked for an accounting of the talents, he was pleased with the one who had five talents and gained five more. He was also pleased with a servant who had two talents and gained two more, but he was not at all pleased with a servant who was given one talent and buried it in the earth. He took the talent from this servant and gave it to another. I fully believe that our talents are developed as we are called upon to serve. If we will faithfully accept the call, hidden talents will be discovered, such as love, compassion, discernment, being a good friend, a peacemaker, teacher, leader, homemaker, writer, researcher—these are all talents. As a teenager, I attended State Conference with my parents. Elder Harold B. Lee was the presiding authority and speaker. My father had been up all night long watering his ten-acre field of strawberries. He was fighting to stay awake and, most of the time, losing the battle. But he wouldn't think of staying away from state conference, especially knowing that Elder Lee would be speaking. We were all a little surprised when Elder Lee stood and started calling some young women from the audience to share their testimonies. My father, who was usually right about such things, poked me and said, You'll be the next speaker." I thought, surely he will not call on me. I'm sitting in the first row of the recreation hall. As I looked up the aisle, I realized how far it would be to the pulpit. I was the next speaker. And sure enough, it was the longest walk I'd taken in my life. I accepted that invitation from the elderly. And as I walked back to my seat, dear people in the audience would squeeze my arm or pat my hand. I was lifted by that experience, and we will each be lifted as we gain the courage to accept invitations from the Lord and His leaders. The invitation to walk with the Lord is a long walk. As 4,200,000 women of the Church form a circle of sisters and use our talents, we can make a difference in this world. One person can make a difference. Each one of you has unique gifts. Use your gifts to serve others. If you are to walk in the light of the Lord, discover your individual strengths and develop them. You will find great joy as you unselfishly share all that the Lord has given you. Third. In the last of the three parables, the Savior extends an invitation to walk in the light of the Lord by serving the individual. He gives the parable of the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, on His right hand, He says, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. When we walk in the light of the Lord, we do not walk alone. We take the hand of our sisters and brothers. We teach our families and strengthen them. We love and serve our ward families, reaching out to the individual members. The Prophet Joseph Smith invited, Nothing is so much calculated to lead people to forsake sins as to take them by the hand and watch over them with tenderness. When persons manifest the least kindness and love to me, oh, what power it has over my mind while the opposite course has a tendency to harrow up all the harsh feelings and depress the human mind. We all can be edified by a speech Eliza R. Snow gave as part of the original organization of the Relief Society when she said, God is looking down upon you. The angels are recording your secret acts. Let us pray daily and try to become more refined and visionary and bring up our children to be polite and refined, that they may be useful monuments to society. And then she continued, Endeavor to make home happy. Keep your children from various company, and while you study to dress them neatly, do not neglect to adorn them much with those principles which will tend to elevate and ennoble them and prepare them for future usefulness in the kingdom of our God. When we wholeheartedly accept the Lord's invitation to walk in His light, we become spiritually prepared. We develop our talents, and we reach out to God's family. As we walk in His light, we become women of courage and conviction. We become women of vision, women of destiny, and women of eternal value. Join with us to build spiritual strength, to radiate truth to the world, and to celebrate the family. We are a worldwide circle of sisters, a circle of safety and protection. We are the Release Society organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please accept our invitation to come home, home to the arms of the Lord and to your sisters who love you and need you. Isaiah saw us in our day. He saw people of all nations going to the house of the Lord and walking in His light. He knew that the Lord would need you to be an incredible force for good and a powerful instrument of the priesthood of God. Under the direction of the royal priesthood, the Relief Society will help establish the kingdom of God on the earth. For most assuredly, the kingdom will be established and Christ will will reign personally. All those who accept this invitation will feel His embrace and relish the sweet tones, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. To our sisters all over the world, I bear testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His arms are open to each of us. His truths are plain and clear, and His invitation is sure. I pray we will realize the vital role of our Relief Society organization under the direction and in harmony with the priesthood in preparing women and families for exaltation. May we be exemplary women and stand boldly for truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
4: I have looked down from my seat and seen on the front row in the tabernacle a group of Otovalo Indians from the highlands of Ecuador, and I just want to express my appreciation to these wonderful people, these faithful Latter-day Saints who come so very, very far to participate with us in this conference. Thank you very much, brethren and sisters. In case you others don't know where Orovalo is, you go to Quito, and then you drive up across the equator and come to villages in the highlands of the great mountains of Ecuador, and there are these peaceful and wonderful people. As we conclude this great gathering, which has reached across the nation and bridged the seas, I express in humility and with thanksgiving my deep appreciation for all who have participated, including those who have listened. The music has been wonderful. The prayers have been inspirational. The talks have been prepared and delivered under the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We rejoice together with grateful hearts. Now it becomes our duty and responsibility as we return to our homes to translate into our daily lives the truths which we have heard spoken. Now, in conclusion, I wish to make an announcement. As I've previously indicated, in recent months we've traveled far out among the membership of the church. I have been with many who have very little of this world's goods, but they have in their hearts a great, burning faith concerning this Latter-day work. They love the Church. They love the gospel. They love the Lord and want to do His will. They are paying their tithing, modest as it is. They make tremendous sacrifices to visit the temples. They travel for days at a time in cheap buses and on old boats. They save their money and do without to make it all possible. They need nearby temples—small, beautiful, serviceable temples. Accordingly, I take this opportunity to announce to the entire Church a program to construct some thirty smaller temples immediately. They will be in Europe, in Asia, in Australia, in Fiji, in Mexico, in Central and South America and Africa, as well as in the United States and Canada. They will have all the necessary facilities to provide the ordinances of the Lord's House. This will be a tremendous undertaking. Nothing even approaching it has ever been tried before. These will be in addition to the 17 larger buildings now going forward in England, Spain, Ecuador, Bolivia, the Dominican Republic, Brazil, Colombia, Billings, Montana, Houston, Texas, Boston, Massachusetts, White Plains, New York, and the smaller temples in Anchorage, Alaska, Monticello, Utah, and Colonia Juarez as well as a temple for which ground has just been broken in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This will make a total of 47 new temples, in addition to the 51 now in operation. I think we'd better add two more to make it an even hundred. (laughs) By the end of this century, being 2,000 years since the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the flesh. In this program, we are moving on a scale the like of which we have never seen before. I will not give you the specific cities at this time. State presence will be advised as property is secured. I am confident the membership of the Church will do a lot of speculating as to whether one of these will be in their city. If temple ordinances are an essential part of the restored gospel—and I testify that they are—then we must provide the means by which they can be accomplished. All of our vast family history endeavor is directed to temple work. There is no other purpose for it. The temple ordinances become the crowning blessings the Church has to offer. I can only add that when these 30 or 32 are built, There will be more yet to come. May God bless the faithful Latter-day Saints. May you be prospered as you live the commandments. May all be honest and even generous in the payment of tithes and offerings. And may the windows of heaven be opened and blessings be showered down upon us as a people as we walk with boldness and in faith before the Lord to accomplish His eternal work. I was deeply touched by Brother Ron Pullman's short talk on tithing. He and I lived in the same ward when we were boys. We had the same bishop. We paid a little tithing as boys. And the Lord, I can testify, has blessed us through the years that have passed. I can see in my mind's eye his dear mother kneeling with her family and pleading with the Lord and thanking Him for the great privilege that was theirs to impart of their meager substance in obedience to His commandment. May there be peace and harmony and love (coughs) in our homes and in our families. May the testimony of the living, hallowed truth of this great work be reflected in our lives. May we all rejoice together in praising Him from whom all blessings flow, our glorious leader, our great Redeemer. This is my humble prayer, my beloved brethren and sisters, as we come to a close of this great and significant and historic conference, God help us to be Latter-day Saints. In the finest expression of that word is my humbly pra- humble prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.